Hi, I'm Jake Shears, and I want to tell you about my new podcast, Queer the Music, that uncovers the anthems that have dominated dance floors and shaped queer lives. I'll be unpacking a different track each episode to discover the fascinating stories and backgrounds to each tune with the help of my brilliant guests. I had been advised by a media trainer to not come out. Love to see every kind of person say, sucking on my titties, because we all have titties. We got pelted cups of water tubes of toothpaste that's queer the music with me jake shears listen wherever you get your podcasts hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Before we begin, this series features the amazing unheard stories of queer nightlife in Britain, colourfully told by the community that lived it. So expect the unexpected, strong language and themes of an adult nature. My name is Damien Kerlin and this is Memories from the Dance Floor, a docu-series which unravels the forgotten history behind LGBTQ plus nightlife across the UK. Join me as I dive into 20th century queer culture and the opening of iconic superclubs. Along the way, I'll speak to artists, promoters and patrons as we unpack the expressions of queer identity through truly epic nights from the real lives of the community behind those closed doors and the memories that will last a lifetime. can tell you is what another nightclub owner said to me when I was starting out. He said, you know, Sal, I've got some advice for you. If you have drugs in your club, you'll have a big problem with the police and the licensing people. If you don't have drugs in your club, you won't have a business. That's Jeremy Norman, a British entrepreneur who I met on Zoom a few weeks ago. Jeremy's had a pretty extraordinary career from a travel writer, TV presenter, publisher and founder of Heaven, a legendary out and proud nightclub situated in the heart of London. I wanted to find out how Jeremy Norman, a fresh-faced Cambridge graduate working in publishing at the time, found his way into the seductive world of the nightclub trade. 
I tried a number of businesses. I had a publishing company, which is quite a well-known publishing company, called Burke's Peerage. And we did a book on American presidents. So I went to New York to publicize this, uh, this book and was staying with some very nice and kind, but rather stuffy and conventional Upper East Side family in their brownstone house where they were eager to introduce me to some of their young daughters and daughters' friends. But I like to escape after dinner and go down to the Lower West Side, I think, in the meatpacking district where there were two completely amazing clubs, one called Flamingo and the other called 12 West. And Flamingo was basically just a big sort of barn of a room with, you know, a thousand hot gay men dancing with their shirts off, sweat pouring down them. You know, it was just intoxicating, the atmosphere. So that was my really first experience of gay life, proper gay life. I mean, I'd been to a few clubs in London, but they were tiny little cellar bars. Anyway, I came back from New York full of enthusiasm to open a club, because not only was it that I wanted London to have a big gay centre, where gay men could feel liberated and at home. But I also wanted an American-style bar experience. After visiting New York, Jeremy could see the potential for a Studio 54-style club in London. This led to the opening of the embassy, a small earlier precursor to heaven. It was extremely difficult, as you can imagine, for someone who had no track record, who was at the time 29, you know, to get a, a bank to back you or to get any premises. What landlord's going to lease premises to someone that's never opened a club before and knows, doesn't know anything? And frankly, it was totally mad. But, you know, with the, the certainty of youth, you know, youth gives you this wonderful sort of feeling that you can conquer the world, which it certainly did for me. But it worked. It was gay-owned, gay-run, with a gay sensibility. Let's put it that way. And most of our bar staff were rather cute boys who we put in virtually see-through satin shorts, which drove people wild of both sexes. Naughtiness was in the air. <laughs> and naughtiness only continued as Jeremy set his sights on a venue double the capacity under the railway in London's Charing Cross, which would become Europe's largest superclub and revolutionary gay bar. Born as an antithesis of commercial disco, London's Heaven nightclub first opened its doors during the winter days of 1979. Inspired by Studio 54's flamboyant hedonism, Jeremy was eager to bring queer culture into the mainstream. The launch of Heaven was great, actually. We had a Canadian actor who was our sort of MC, and he came on stage and he said, according to the Bible, the earth was made in seven days and God made man, and then man made Jeremy Norman, and Jeremy Norman made heaven. And then the music suddenly came up and the lights flashed and the whole thing was, you know, kicked off. Back then, the gay clubbing scene mainly translated into overcrowded cellar bars and club owners bribing police to avoid being raided. Although Heaven debuted 12 years after homosexuality was decriminalised in 1967, prejudice was still rife, but such an iconic venue was never destined to stay in the shadows. My first thing I did before I actually opened Heaven was I went to see the 
head policeman at Cannon Row Police Station, which is the local police station. And I said, I've just bought the old global village and I want to open a large gay club there. But I, I want to know what your attitude is. And he looked at me and said, if it keeps you fags off the street, I don't suppose we'll have a problem with it. So I took that as a yes. And I think it did keep quite a lot of fags off the street, come to think of it. It was a time when you could be out but not proud, and representation on primetime TV and radio was pretty much non-existent. But was that about to change? I don't know whether you've heard of a guy called Kenny Everett. Mm-hmm. He was the funniest man on television. Everybody loved him. He had a primetime television show, and he did an episode that was filmed entirely in heaven with the heaven neon logo flashing behind him the whole time. It was like having half an hour's advert on primetime television. And from that moment on, we were mobbed. That was our breakthrough moment, I would say. For members of London's burgeoning gay scene, the arrival of heaven was the moment when a rich, hidden culture became part of mainstream nightlife. Under the direction of the club's original manager, David Inches, heaven sought DJs who would become exclusive to the club and were groundbreaking in terms of their music selection and style. And there is none more memorable than heaven's first resident DJ, Ian Levine. His mix of disco, high energy and early house music became known as the original heaven sound. We started off with Dan Hartman's Relight My Fire. It was one of the last ever proper real disco records of the 70s. And it started off with this twinkly sort of bells and little tinkly things. And it builds up this bam, bam. Everybody went crazy. Heaven supported in cementing Ian as one of the most sought-after DJs and music producers of the time. In 1983, the London-based record shop Record Shack offered Levine £2,000 to set up a new joint venture record label, where he produced So Many Men, So Little Time by Miguel Brown. We made this record, So Many Men, So Little Time. It was a slogan and scene in Los Angeles. It had to find the right singer. She had to be black, she had to be American, and it had to be the right record. So Michael Brown had to be something in your face, something that people would not forget. So I wrote down on a piece of paper this morning, I opened my eyes and everything's still the same. I turned to the guy who stayed last night and asked him, what's your name? And that to me was somebody tall up, you know, anonymous sex. It sold seven million. It's very hard these days to sell seven million singles, but it did. And it all grew out of heaven. Of course, Ian wasn't the only DJ emerging at that time. There was also Rusty Egan, who I caught up with from his home studio. I'm a drummer, but I'm more well known for being a DJ and being a part of a movement of uh, introducing electronic dance music and uh, disco and merging them together. And it became something sort of like synth pop or new romantics or a dozen other names. When Heaven opened, they had a DJ from Blackpool called Ian Levine. He brought New York to London. And when I went in there and I heard that sound system and I saw the DJ booth, it was kind of like a kid at Christmas. I want it, I want it, I want it. Heaven was not an underground 
club. It's a place where the music's amazing. And who comes out on stage? A mandolier. And I was like, what? They booked a mandolier. And of course, yeah, from New York, they were booking Grace Jones. They were booking all the things. I was like, oh my God, this is, I've got to go there. I need to see them. Grace Jones never did a show in, in Europe at that time. She only performed in New York. And for me, as a favour, she did heaven. She was dressed in stilettos and or black leather, and she had a whip. One of our bar staff, a Greek guy called Lotvi, and he was on his hands and knees in a leather jockstrap, and she had his whip, and she was whipping him. It was outrageous. Heaven has been pivotal in terms of gay culture, but who actually graced its doors, and was it always as welcoming as it may have appeared? It was principally for gay men of whatever condition. Jeremy Norman, Heaven's founder. The entrance fee was not huge, and there were even nights where if you came early, you didn't have to pay to get in. So yeah, it was for everybody. But even with the best intentions, Heaven catered to a predominantly white clientele, as Mark Thompson, co-director of The Love Tank and Blackout UK, told me. So I used to go to a club which was at the back of Heaven, called Bad, which was started by a guy called Steve Swindles, who'd already run um, a club called The Lift. And what was quite special about The Lift and then Bad's, they were really, really diverse clubs and they catered for a predominantly black and brown audience. It was situated right at the back of heaven, which I've recently discovered was the dark rooms or the leather area of heaven. So I would go there Friday nights and it was a great space. It was truly wonderful and that's where I really cut my teeth but in around 1988-89 I discovered that you could walk through the back of this club into heaven proper without paying and I was like wow this is amazing so I would go in there because it was this big huge club and Bad's was quite small and quite dark and heaven had a particular reputation you know it was this big space it was predominantly white the music was very high energy. It was a particular type of music that I wasn't into and nor were a lot of my friends. So Heaven, whilst it was there as a great big super club and was quite exciting to go to, musically, in terms of the crowd and culturally, it wasn't speaking to the needs of many of my, me and my friends. It's maybe hard for us to imagine LGBTQ plus venues which didn't cater for the community in its entirety. Yet many white gay people supported this. LGBTQ plus people cannot ask for equality on one hand and discriminate on the other. It undermines our cause and our integrity. What we've got to remember are a couple of things. Overall, a lot of clubs or the big clubs and the bars and the pubs were run by white gay men of a particular age, of a particular class, of a particular background. And they were looking out and they were catering for themselves and their friends. They weren't necessarily exploring or thinking, actually, there's a wider gay world out here and we need to represent that. I think the other thing is that we were, as a black gay community, were smaller in number compared to where we are today. So people didn't feel there was a need to cater for us because we weren't commercially viable. We, we, we were not going to bring money in the door. And I think thirdly, you know, it's straight up racism, right? People didn't care about black queer men or black queer women. So we weren't welcomed in those spaces. And there were racist door policies, very often unsaid, unspoken. But I lost count of the amount of times that I would go to a club 
and have rigorous questions asked of me at the door. And that happened to lots of my friends. There was other accusations of discrimination levelled against the LGBTQ community over time, usually but not only with a subset of white gay men charged as the culprits. During the 1980s, lesbians fought to have the gay community relabeled lesbian and gay so that women would no longer be erased. Bisexual, transgender and other people have variously insisted on being acknowledged, adding letters to the acronym. Join us after this short ad break where we'll be diving into heaven in the wilderness years of the 80s and 90s. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In the 1980s, the AIDS crisis hit the UK, killing thousands and disproportionately claiming the lives of young men in the gay community. The outbreak of AIDS gave the tabloid media an incentive to further demonise gay and bisexual men in Britain. The coupling of racism and AIDS stigma was even more lethal, with many LGBTQ plus people being treated like second class citizens, as Jeremy Norman remembers. We still danced. The dancing didn't stop. We'd be going to funerals or sitting at a dying boy's bedside. And then in the evening, we'd put on our glad rags and go out and boogie. What else can you do? Life can't stop. You have to go on. You have to celebrate what little life you think you might have left. And uh, we did lose a huge number of friends. I myself became positive in 91, or at least I knew I was positive in 91. How long I'd been positive for, I don't know, but I tested in 91. But we still managed to have fun. We went on, we took the attitude. We should live life as though we're going to live a normal lifespan. And that's what I did. As did Ian Levine. So I remember making a record about sleeping with a different man every night, and suddenly the gay community is struck down by a horrendous plague that they didn't understand and couldn't come to terms with and it was horrible what happened it just I lost so many friends
The Doom Merchants said it would never work, but 43 years on, it is the longest running nightclub in Europe and one of the most famous in the world. Madonna did one of her first shows there, as did Take That and Grace Jones. But in the past decade or so, nearly 60% of LGBTQ plus spaces in London have closed down. So, is there still a need, want or requirement for such venues anymore? I think half the fun of being gay is celebrating that with other gay people. And the way we do it is by dancing, by going a bit wild. And I think that's to be celebrated. In the 1980s, gay people had consummate taste in both Heaven and The Saints. Great records, they stood for quality. Ever since throughout the 90s, 32 years really, the music is shit. I blame Jeremy Joseph for that. He let G.A.Y. be used as an absolute top of the pops, Kylie Minogue, anybody that was on the X Factor, just pathetic. Jeremy Joseph is the current owner of Heaven and G.A.Y. and I don't think he cares, Ian. We are unashamedly commercial and, and played to what people really wanted. Whereas like, there's so many venues that are like kind of played to a trend and, you know, but trends can only last for a certain amount of time. The LGBT community is a very diverse community. So what we provide is not going to be for everybody in the LGBT community. But, you know, someone like Heaven is 188,000 a quarter. You know, that's, you know, every three months we have to pay out, you know, nearly 200,000 pounds in rent. With enormous rent burdens, it's not surprising that many of London's queer venues are closing. As Amy LeMay, the city's night czar, explained to me over Zoom. It just seemed like every other week it was like, oh, another place is closing. Oh, I've heard such and such is, you know, is closed and shut their doors. But we didn't have any data on this. We have people's stories, which are incredibly important, you know, that lived experience. But we didn't have the data. So one of the first things I did as Knights are was co-commissioned that report from UCL looking into the loss of our LGBTQ plus spaces, not just how many we had and how many we've lost, but why. So when we got those figures back, you know, that we had lost, you know, for 60 percent of our venues between, you know, in the decade previous to 2006, 2016, you may want to you know, look into who was mayor of London during that time. By the way, it was Boris Johnson. Um, <laughs> the reason why uh, these places and spaces were closing were because of threats of development, rising business rates and rising commercial rents that pushed us away. Queer nightlife to me is about more than just where you can hook up and dance to the classics on a Saturday night. It is also about the people who make up the LGBTQ plus community and the incredible things from the charities, political groups, art collectives, pride events and services that are on offer. They are places where the LGBTQ plus people can meet as one to amplify their voice and demonstrate to those who may be struggling with their sexuality, identity or purpose that there is a space for them and we look forward to welcoming them. You need a safe space. You need a space where you can go. Things can always change. Never take for granted. We may have equality at the moment. That could change. The time for the LGBT community are at its strongest is when it's fighting. And as Rusty confirms, London and its venues, despite their flaws, have been a refuge for the LGBTQ plus community and it's our responsibility to uphold that. Bottom line is, most dads kick their gay son out. He had nowhere to go. So he went to London, you know, 
and the point was, small town boy, is exactly that. We were the place where you came to. You were the weirdo. Come to us. We love weirdos. We love you. We, us, them, are part of the fabric of society. We have fought not only to make room for ourselves, but against persecution and violence, erasure and hate. We just know how to have a lot of fun while we're doing it. Thank you so much for listening to Memories from the Dance Floor. If you enjoyed this trip down memory lane, then please like, share, subscribe and leave a review. Also, please feel free to get in touch and share your own memories from the dance floor with me at hello at damiancarolyn.com. Memories from the Dance Floor is an ACAS Amplifiers commissioned podcast written by myself and produced by the incredible Hunter Shalton. Our artwork was created by Leon Davis and theme music was written by the gorgeous Jay Aria. Tune in next week where we'll be heading to Birmingham's legendary Nightingales. And I was just a little party boy. I just parted like there was no tomorrow. See you on the dance floor. you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with juvederm volure xc For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hello and welcome to Memories from the Dance Floor, the podcast that uncovers the hidden history behind our LGBTQ plus spaces. This June, for Pride Month, we will make a triumphant return with season two. Expect all the usual boss and coded expression, except this time things will be a little bit different. So use this time to brush up on your knowledge and catch up on season one, because we can't wait to welcome you back to the dance floor.